welcome to Masters of Divinity. I am your moderator, JP, and I am here as usual with Father Chuck. Hi, what's going on today? And with our guest host, Father Fun. Hey guys, good to be back. Uh, it's great to have you. And unfortunately, Matt can't make it because uh, he's Matt. He, well, no, uh, he challenged somebody to a duel. Uh, and, and he doesn't uh, want to throw away his shot. He didn't want to throw away his shot, and he, uh, he demanded satisfaction. The other person declined, and well, you know how it goes. <laughs> All right. Hopefully, he wears his glasses. <laughs> he wore his glasses. <laughs> yeah. uh, so, um, this week, Father Fun is with us, and he, he brought us an album to listen to. And um, before we get into that, uh, I actually want to ask you guys something real quick, kind of off topic. What did you guys think about Bishop Michael Curry, the royal wedding? Did you watch the royal wedding? There was a wedding? <laughs> really? I, I was not aware. <laughs> oh. Uh, yeah, okay. I watched it. Um, Michael actually woke up early, um, like at 4.30. Mike, Mike, Michael, your wife. Michael, my wife. <laughs> oh, yeah, not Michael Curry. Um, <laughs> uh, I'm sure he woke up early, too. Um, yeah, she woke up early and went to watch it with a friend and made scones and did the whole kind of like English tea thing. Uh, and then I was with the kids and they had both woken up by about 6.10. And so we just turned it on because that was what time it started. And um, we missed the missed the procession down, but heard the Song of Solomon reading and then got to hear Curry speak and um, and saw the, the end of the wedding. It was Arnie's, I think it was Arnie's first experience kind of watching a wedding now that she has kind of the cognition level to understand kind of what's happening. She's been to several weddings, but she, but she was just a baby. Yeah. Um, yeah, I thought, I thought Curry was, was great. I mean, it was definitely like, it's interesting to see the reaction to it, especially the secular yeah. reaction to it, because yeah. it's something that we're all well familiar with in the Episcopal church. Um, it was very, it was very much a typical Michael Curry sermon. Like it wasn't, I wasn't like wowed or astounded by anything. In fact, I was a little, um, especially at the beginning and middle, I was a little like, is he really going to do this? Like, you know, he, he kind of iterates on himself and, um, and, and quotes a lot of scripture and kind of comes back around and, um, tells some, tells some stories. But then once he finally got to the point, I think, where, where he quoted the, the, um, Teilhard de Chardin quote about the, about love setting the world on fire or, um, love being a fire. When he got there and started drilling that, I was like, oh, okay, this is it. Like, this is why this is a standout sermon is because of this, this theology that he's doing here. Right. Um, I thought it was great. And it was, and it was great to watch the couple and the Royals, like, Kind of watching and <laughs> their reactions were yeah. was kind of why I watched it. <laughs> my my favorite my favorite was seeing Oprah just do this. She's the only one, and like in her room, just kind of like mm. swaying. <laughs> um, yeah, there were a lot of uh, faces that were kind of priceless to see her. Like you could tell they've never sat there or anything like that before in their lives. Well, I, I got, I'm I, I'm still like interested in wondering like. How in the world did he get invited? Like, whose whose relationship is it? Did Welby have something to do with it, or like, who who in the family I knew? I, it just it's. I mean, he's he is a a, 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 um, a primate in the Anglican Communion, you know. So he has some kind of sort of direct connection to the Queen through the Sea of Canterbury. But it was a wild it was a wild choice. I'm yeah. so glad they did it, but. Sorry, Charles. You were about to say what your uh, what your reactions were. Well, I was just going to say that I um, um, well, one, it was I, I didn't see the whole wedding because I was in Tampa for my niece's uh, high school graduation while it was all going on. So, like, I thought about doing like that like typical like sports guy thing, like sneaking in a headphone and like listening <laughs> while like the graduation was going on. Uh, I nice. didn't, I didn't do that though. But I um, but on my drive back um, from Tampa home, we listened to it, and um, I thought it was great. And I agree with everything Patrick said. I, I I feel that it, I feel that it really showcased and captured the Episcopal Church's ethos in a really in a really great way. In that you have uh, you have this guy, um, you know, African American, um, preaching with um, a particular type of oratory style shaped by the Great Awakening movements. Um, quoting a Baptist minister, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., as well as a medieval mystic, um, all within the same homily. Roman Catholic. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I feel like that really, that really captures a lot of, of what 
of what we are. And I think actually we'll have has some resonance with what we'll talk about with our album today a little bit too. But I um I also but in, but my 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 bigger reaction is is that I am astounded, blown away by the fact that I watched Saturday Night Live and Michael <laughs> Bruce Curry showed up as a character. <laughs> Keenan Thompson, on a weekend update. Keenan yeah. Thompson played him on weekend update and just like I, I, I there's at no point in my life would I thought that that's the kind of thing that I would see um you know especially <laughs> since I've become an Episcopalian um but the other thing is Patrick I don't know if you thought about it but um we you know the exact same day seven years ago we were graduating seminary listening to him preach our commencement homily oh really I I I, I it's funny so what was that the 19th uh yeah okay yeah because i i was thinking to myself like on all day on saturday i was like why is the 19th like locked in my brain as an important day and it was you know it was just seven he, years ago i guess he spoke at your commencement yeah yeah wow that was before awesome. his election i mean he's always like really really since i i can't speak to this but he was he was elected what like 15 years ago or something in north carolina really since his election in north carolina he's been known to be you know when in about 2000 2003 he's been known to be and understood to be one of the best preachers in the church and has had a lot of he came and did our diocesan convention a few years back and like we're a tiny diocesan convention you know like he preached cool. to maybe 150 people and and gave a keynote address you know so like he's he's been he's been wow. making the rounds for for quite a while Wow. Well, really interesting, guys. That's uh, that's why I like to have uh, the two priests on the show and talk about stuff like that. <laughs> um, I listened to it last night. I thought it was a great sermon. Uh, loved the reactions. And I did watch a couple of SNL skits afterwards. And uh, very funny. I definitely highly recommend the weekend update with, with Keenan Thompson playing <laughs> Michael Curry. He captures also... him like he ca- it's so amazing to watch <laughs> that he did that so quickly, too, because it was that night. Yeah, so I know. Cool. And there's another one where uh, it's like Prince Harry is sort of like walking around the reception, but like it's almost it's like a documentary style, like someone holding a camcorder. Mm. And Keenan Thompson plays like Meghan Mark- Markle's like uncle from uncle, Philly, uncle from Philly. She's hanging out with the Queen, who's played by <laughs> Kate McKinnon. And he's like, "You gotta get to Philadelphia, get some real food." <laughs> get some I real food. It's really funny. All right, so let's jump into it, guys. This is the third installment of Music Mayhem. And uh, we listened to Hamilton this week, the smash Broadway hit by Lynn Manuel Miranda. Um, Con- confession: Some of us listened to most of Hamilton. <laughs> you know what? This is the longest album we've ever listened to on the show. Forty-three tracks, so we will not be going track by track on this one. Um, but uh, we do have some things to say, and I want to start it off by going through our usual round of questions. Father Fun. Yeah. Um, what is your relationship with this album? Uh, so I'm actually a pretty latecomer to Hamilton. I am not in any way an originalist uh, or, or know, have not known much about it for, for a long time. Um, it made its off-Broadway debut in, in 2015, early 2015. And, you know, I'm, I'm friends with people who got into it almost immediately, people who are in the musical world. Um, I... I was a musical kid kind of coming up, but really like historically big musicals. I never really liked modern musicals. So like when Rent was really big, I was not into Rent. I just did not like it. Okay. Yeah. Rent sucks. Yeah. <laughs> I don't I'm think not, anyone actually right. really likes Rent. Or, or even like Cats. I'm like just, <laughs> modern, modern musicals just have never really done anything for me, but I'm a big fan of like My Fair Lady and um, The Music Man and um, some other ones that I've actually been in as a as a middle school and high schooler as well. Okay. Um, so I was always like, it was always kind of interested in it, but not ever having listened to it. And then in um, November of 2016, I was in New York City for a, a national church meeting, and uh, a couple of my uh, the people on the board that I was on um, went to do the lottery for to be able to go and see see the musical. This is still back when uh, the original cast was doing it. Okay. And I remember thinking to myself, like, oh, I should do that. I should go and, like, be part of the lottery. But then I was going to go out with a friend and decided that I didn't want to do that. And, you know, you know, you don't know if you're going to get in the lottery anyway. And right. uh, It's only, like, 20 tickets per show or something. Right. So I went um, I went out, and then I got home, and I said, you know what? I feel like I'm, I can already tell you that that was a missed opportunity. 
And <laughs> and so I need to understand how much of a missed opportunity it was. And so I downloaded the album. And so in late 2016, and we just started listening to it like every morning. Um, mm. We'd listen to it as a family while we were eating our breakfast. And Anine almost immediately like started picking up on it. She was just over two at the time. And so she would sing... Um, she would sing my shot. She would sing Alexander <laughs> Hamilton. Those first few songs, she yeah. would she, she would do. Are you Aaron Burr, sir? You know, um, <laughs> and it was and it was great. And it was it's playing in the car all the time. You know, we actually bought it as a physical disc um, and uh, and had it in our car. And and then also because of the physical disc, got it as an Amazon Music download. And and so we just listened to it everywhere for probably a, a year. Um, we've kind of fallen off on listening to it now that Ernine has her own music tastes, which are tend to be terrible because she's three. But, um, <laughs> I have to yeah, know what, I, what are, with it. I just immediately, I just immediately fell in love with it. Uh, I think it's incredibly clever, um, to quote Richard Schiff, who was, uh, on the West wing weekly a few months back, he said, it's just this, it's a work of staggering genius. Um, I'm not into, I've never been an American history person, but it makes me wish I was an American history person. It makes me want to read. I've, I've read so many well, like Wikipedia articles about these, <laughs> these characters, these people. And it's just so fascinating to see how well he folded everything into it as well. So, yeah, that's my relationship with it. Okay. Chuck, what were you going to say? Uh, I was good first. I, had, I just had to know what Erin's musical tastes are. <laughs> um, when she asks, um, so she likes to listen to Rafi. Do you know who Rafi is? Yeah. Yes, because Charlie also listens to Rafi. <laughs> right? Yeah. So like with the, the, like any toddler time Pandora Spotify station, she's like into. Um, lately, she's been getting back into the Disney musicals, which has been nice. I, uh, you know, Frozen and and especially Moana are just such an such amazing. Um, and Moana is also Lin Manuel Miranda, by the way. Right. Yeah. Are, are um are just incredible incredible pieces and um and I'm, and so I'm happy to listen to th- those things. I don't think those are terrible, but but cool. Toddler time. Yeah. No. I feel your pain. Well, well, cool. So uh, I got to ask, Father Fun, why why this album for Music Mayhem? Well, in in Music Mayhem last year, I brought uh, Who's Next, which is uh, I think is one of my favorite albums of all time. Probably my favorite album of all time. The most formative for me. And I remember in the follow-up to it, I immediately started thinking about what I would choose if I got to choose next week, you know, and um, mm-hmm. and hoping hoping that MOD would continue on and have another Music Mayhem. I started thinking more and more about it. And I remember asking maybe Charles or maybe I asked all of you and just said, uh, you know, I'm thinking about I'm thinking about Hamilton and and nobody had heard it. Nobody had listened to it. And it, 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 I just felt like it's one of these. <clears throat> just because something is in the zeitgeist does not mean that it's good. Okay. Mm-hmm. But it has been so, it has stuck so f- well and fast and become such a part of the zeitgeist. And I personally enjoy it very much that I, uh, really wanted you all to experience it. Um, and if you haven't listened to the full thing, I hope you'll go back. I hope your interest has been peaked and you'll go back and listen to the whole thing a couple more times because I, I think it is, it is, it is an, it is an incredible work. Um, of of, Amer- of American genius. Great. Okay. All right. So um, let's get to our initial thoughts. Uh, if you don't mind, I, uh, Chuck, do you want to go first or would you like me to go first? I, I would like to go first. Of okay. course. Cause you go know ahead. me, I, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a yeah. talker. Uh, I, so Patrick, when you, when you suggested this, you know, you, I think you remember even on the chat comment, I was like, my, my first thought was like, well, this isn't an album. This is the soundtrack to a musical. And like, is this a thing that we can really listen to without seeing the musical itself? That was my first thought. Then I, then I quickly rescinded that and thought, well, that would be a great thing to talk about in the episode instead of, you know, getting into it. At least um, something to attempt. Right. And plus, we're not doing like album August. We're doing music mayhem. And we did last year, we did a whole episode on Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 in the midst of this. So, um, so I, so yeah. The other piece is that I, in general, don't like musicals. I'm sort of the, I'm the kind of person where I'm like, I watch them and I'm like, okay, you could cover this in one sentence. Just say your sentence and we can move on. I don't need to hear like four minutes of music. Um, And, there's also an element in which 
it's something that Lin-Manuel does, and he does it in Moana, and it bugs me when I listen to the Moana soundtrack, is he has, and he's not the only one who does this, but is this thing of, like, plot dumping set to music. Like, great, I understand, like, I, I can see what's going on. I don't need you to tell me what I have just seen. I feel like you're holding my hand through this, and you're sort of insulting my intelligence. That being said, as I got into this, I, I was really won over by it. Um, I feel like... And as I'm thinking back on like the first few tracks of it, I kind of realized that Lin-Manuel is, is a genius and that he's kind of aware that most audiences coming into this for the first time are going to find this incredibly weird, that, that this is going to be hip-hop. And so he sort of eases you into it. And the beginning of it feels a little bit like sort of like a suburban kid trying to convince his parents that rap is high art. Um, but once he gets into it and it starts really like you, he sort of figures out Right around, ah, I can't remember what song it is, but there's like third or fourth song in, it feels like, all right, we're comfortable with this concept and now we're going to play with it. And then suddenly it just takes on this entirely different life. And the blending of genres, the blending of, of uh, I mean, just the, the fact that he's able to work in like these references to, I mean, just so much, just so it's dense. And it, to, to think that he pretty much wrote the thing in like a year or so is uh, unbelievable to me. Um, and just all the, all the different parts that come with this to make it something as successful as it is across the board. I mean, it has a couple of weak spots, but like, I mean, just from what I've heard overwhelmingly of it is just like, it really is a, it is a staggering work of genius. And it makes, it actually makes American history super, and like you said, like I'm listening to it and I'm like, yeah, okay, I, I, wish I, I wish I had read big, giant books on American history now because, like, this is super interesting and, and, and deep. And it also does a really great job of communicating by using different musical genres and also a very, like, racially diverse cast that is not the race of the historical figures they're playing, I think does a really great way, uh, a great job of kind of giving that subtle jab of the British being white. You know what I mean? Like that, that idea that these are the, this is the colony. This is the, these are the, these, these, this is the, the people who don't have power. Um, and that white people, we have power. And so it kind of adds that extra dimension to white America, watching it to kind of help add that of like what it was like for them at that time period. Um, so, I, so it won me over As somebody who doesn't like musicals. It won me over. Interesting. I love musicals. I'm like Chuck. <laughs> uh, I could be won over pretty easily by them. Um, one of my all-time favorite musicals is a musical called 1776. And uh, it's also one of my all-time favorite movies. And it's, uh, it's a musical about uh, the, the signing of the Declaration of Independence. And it stars, um, oh, what's his name? Hold on, we're going along. On. I want to get his name. I don't want to just say who he normally plays. William Daniels is John Adams, and it kind of centers around John Adams. And William Daniels, uh, you all know him as uh, Mr. Feeney from yeah. Boy Meets World. Mm -hmm. and, or, and he's or, or Kit from Knight Rider. Yep. Yeah, <laughs> or Kit from Knight Rider. And he's wonderful in it, and it's one of my all-time favorite musicals. And I, I'm like, I'm kind of like you guys are talking about, like, uh, uh, you know, the really thick history books, which is, you know, which what this musical is, is based off of essentially is... Uh, Alexander Hamilton by um, Ron Chernow. Chernow. Yeah. And that's, that's one of those books I've actually always wanted to read because I actually I do love um, Revolutionary War era history because it's such a really rich story. Um, so but my, my, my headspace when it kind of comes to Broadway, um, I don't really I, I'm kind of sort of mystified by the whole scene because I know that, that there is like a Broadway fandom and a lot of people in that fandom will probably never see a Broadway show. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of people live in flyover country. You know, they, and so they have to kind of just get their kicks by listening to albums. And that's, you know, that's how they, that's how they engage with their fandom. They never, they'll never get to spend the thousands of dollars to see, you know, these, uh, these productions. And, and that, that's, I'm kind of mystified and, and, and I'm also sort of like kind of why I, I don't like it that much. I don't like this idea about like um, you, you have to be rich to really enjoy it, you know, to get the full experience. 
Um, and also, Hamilton is interesting because it kind of comes in a, in, a, in a line of musicals per decade since the 1960s that are sort of like about young people that feel left out of a system. Um, 1960s, you had Hair. The 70s, you had Jesus Christ Superstar. 80s, you had Les Mis. Uh, Rent was in the 90s. Um, I think Avenue Q was sort of the one for the 2000s. And then you have Hamilton, which is this one. And um, I think it's interesting because they all are kind of about, they kind of frame themselves as revolutionary. Um, but uh, the fact that they're they're kind of filtered through Broadway, they, they still kind of push the voice and worldview of like, what's the status quo? Um, I'm not going to get like, I, this sounds like I'm getting really, really deep into it, but I promise you <laughs> I'm not. Uh, Augusto Bull, there's this guy named Augusto Bull, and he, he came up with this idea of the theater of the oppressed. And he basically came up with the idea that the dominant art is the art of the dominant class who controls the means to disseminate art. And um, in this case, it's Broadway shows. And the shows kind of revolve around the discontent of the underclass, and they only find success because they appeal largely to people who have the money to enjoy it. Um, this is the, I'm saying this because this is sort of the headspace I'm in approaching this. Yeah. And... <laughs> And the thing about Hamilton is that it presents a multicultural hip-hop narrative about the life of exile in Hamilton and the foundation of the country, but it's also, like, really reassuring of, like, the American experiment. Um, it's not really challenging American exceptionalism, but I like what you said, Chuck, about how it sort of equates to, like, people of color pushing back against, you know, the sort of like white privilege and how England sort of represents that. I think that's interesting. Uh, you know, one of the songs is Who Lives, Who Dies, Who Tells Your Story. In the case of Broadway, it's it's the ruling class. Um, but, the, but having said that, you can still enjoy this. You know, like, it, I love Phantom. I love, uh, <laughs> I love uh, like I said, I love 1776. Um, but going into Hamilton, I, I was just always kind of very wary of it. You know, kind of like, okay, like, yeah, it's a multicultural cast, but how much are they going to really kind of expose what some of the founding fathers are really guilty of? You know, is it going to be sort of like a Disney thing where there's a lot of revisionism happening? And uh, I would say after about three songs, that all kind of went away and I became very entrapped in the story being told. And that to me is sort of like, A, it's, it's Lin-Manuel Miranda and his amazing music. And B, um, just the story of the Founding Fathers is, is, is very interesting. No matter where you stand on the spectrum, how critical you are of, of, what, of, of who they are as people, you can get obsessed with their story. It's, it's almost like, it's almost kind of comic booky in a way. Because <laughs> you have all these different characters. You can follow each single one, and they all cross over, and they all interact, and it's amazing. Um, so, I, and where I really started to, like, grab me like i wasn't like i, I was i was kind of familiar with alexander hamilton the, the song alexander hamilton and the song uh my shot um it's kind of basic for me but once the skylar sisters came in uh that's when it really grabbed me mm. and i started to really really get into the story and really enjoy it and i think the reason why i became more engaged with it and more like into it is because this is a two hour long album essentially and because I didn't want to, like, ignore it, I didn't want to miss anything, I sat down and read every single lyric <laughs> as I was listening to the whole thing. Yeah. And so, like, it was almost kind of like reading a book, in a way. And um, I got so into it that I was actually, like, uh, got a little misty-eyed during Blow You Away. Yeah. Uh, which is a song about, you know, Philip Hamilton when he uh, got into his duel. Yeah. Uh, especially the ending. Oh, my God. Um, so yeah, those are my initial thoughts. I thought it was wonderful. I wish, I wish I could see this and live. I wish I could, but I'm not rich. I'm I'm flyover country. <laughs> I'll probably never get to see it. Uh, who knows? Maybe some high school will will will, will do it in 20 years. And <laughs> I can see it that way. <laughs> yeah. Or it'll get movie rights at some point and be you know, it's 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 success in in performed uh, live shows won't be contingent on whether it's whether there's a movie of it as well um right so yeah so those so those are my initial thoughts um do you guys uh have any tracks you want to talk about anything in particular uh i don't know father fun you want to start us off with that 
Yeah, I'll talk about. I think we we have to talk about the first the first song, um, which okay. is called Alexander Hamilton. It was written um, well before the rest of the music. Uh, it was his first initial idea after he read the Chernow book, and um, you know he wrote he wrote it. I, I want to speak to this because I think it speaks to something that Charles uh, mentioned, which is about just the surpri- the surprising nature of this. Um, that w- he first performed Alexander Hamilton. Lin Manuel was invited to come to basically like a like a Def Jam thing at the White House back in two thousand nine or ten. Like, nine. Yeah, and so oh, he, yeah. that's when he first performed Alexander Hamilton. And you can go and find video of it that was released by the White House uh, significantly later once Hamilton became bigger. And it's so interesting to listen to it because the 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 musical. Um, you know, it wasn't it wasn't big, and he and he said, "I'm going to perform this thing. I'm, I'm making a new album, and I'm and I'm and I'm, and I'm, and I'm interested in what you think about it." And so he starts out, and it's you know, how does a bastard orphan son of a whore and a Scotsman, right? It starts off right. in that in that kind of rap cadence or whatever. And as you listen to people, you listen to the reaction of it. They're kind of watching and they're interested. And then when it breaks, and he says. Um, what's your name, man? And then he, and then he gets like it gets it, it's like building up, and he goes, "What's your name, man?" Then it breaks, and he goes down. And he's like Alexander Hamilton, you know. And like that's the first time he says Alexander Hamilton. In that first performance of it, when he says Alexander Hamilton, the people in the White House just laugh, right? Like, <laughs> oh, this is like a it's a joke, right? It's a it's a it's it, it's it's this funny thing. He's gonna make fun of the founding fathers through rap somehow, and like. Oh wow, that's really clever or whatever, and people are laughing at him, and he just keeps going, and and it and you can just hear the tenor of the room just change as they're like, whoa, like he's telling this, he's telling the story, and like he's Aaron, he's Aaron Burr telling Hamilton's story, like mm-hmm. it is, it's just it's just shocking and surprising um, how how dense how dense it really is, um, and I think that as a, as an introduction as a beginning, it's so good, and it is that like. Exposition, you know the word. The word that you were looking for, Charles, is exposition. That use of verbal verbal form to speak to and give more background than maybe you need. Um, yeah. But I think that I think that he's writing it with the intention of it being listened to. I, and that's why I would push against you a little bit, JP, and say, I think when Manuel Miranda is certainly a product of an institution that caters to the very wealthy. But I think that this album itself and the fact that you can listen to it and can get even through the verbal form, get images of what you think it might be staged like, and 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 hear the whole story, and not feel like you need to. It's 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 an opera. It's an opera like a Les Mis. It's yeah. not. There's not yeah, yeah. stuff that you're missing. It's not. It's not My Fair Lady where you're missing whole sections of dialogue for context. Right. So it's 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 the operatic style. Right. He's woven this really necessary exposition into it, so that then I, as a viewer or as a listener, can understand and see what's going on. Yeah, no, and that's that's a really good point because like as I was listening to it, I, I had that sense of like I could imagine various staging things going on and like um, um, one of the songs I, I, I'm terrible on the song names by the way, sorry, um, but one of them there's um, it's um, it's I guess the Battle of Yorktown, right? The what's that one? Yorktown, um, or yeah. or. Um, Meet me inside. One of those. Anyway, during that song, there is like there are these like timpani drums, like making the sound of like mortars going off, mm. and like that. That's like a sonic landscape. I mean, and it like I can almost imagine like on stage, there's lights flashing in the background to kind of indicate that battle is happening. Even though they're obviously not going to be staging an entire battle, they're going to be staging this dialogue moment taking place in an officer's tent while the battle wages on outside. Um, and I just thought, like, so yeah, like it, he does, it, it, that is a thing. Yeah. I mean, I use the phrase plot dump because plot dump is a, um, that comes out of the comic book world. So it's like, you know, when you pick up issue two of a series, they have to have somebody kind of catch you, bring you up to speed of what happened last issue. And it, it, it you're probably, you're right. It's more exposition in Hamilton than say like Moana where like 
<laughs> in Moana when she's on the boat and she's talking to the ghost of her grandma and she's like, I'm the, I'm the daughter of the village chief. I am surra- I, you know, I'm descended from Voyagers. Like, oh, you're just recounting the entire plot up until this moment. Like, I, I just How watched the movie. How dare you, sir? I love How that song. That is the best song on that album. Oh, it's, I, you have, because you don't have daughters and you're cold and heartless. Listen, <laughs> I listened. I've, I have lis- I listened to that album, that that, that 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 soundtrack, probably on a weekly basis. And I, I, I agree with you that it is the best song, on, like among the best songs on the thing. I think. Um, 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 actually, the one that Manuel himself sings, um, the the flashback song. Um, anyway, yeah. uh, I think that one's the best one. But um, but no 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 no, it's great. But it it always irritates me though, where I'm like, oh, you're just summing up the movie. Like I just watched this, I've just seen this. But I also understand that this is targeted for like five year old kids who need that kind of stuff. They need it spelled out for them. So it, you know, but it is what it is. Um, but I, I do want to, there was, ah, I had a thought and I lost it. Dang it. All right, whatever. Move on. Okay. Um, I don't know how we want to keep doing this. I don't know if you want to keep, I don't know if you have like a list of your favorites or anything. Rather fun. Or, um... well, I, yeah, I, I think I, I, would, I would not want, I, I'm, I'm obviously excited to talk about any of these things. Okay. Um, but I want to make sure that we hit um, number thirteen on both on both sides of the album. Okay. Which is uh, "Wait for It" and then "And Hurricane." Yes. Um, I have both of those marked as uh, my favorite. So let's let's we can go ahead and talk about. It. We don't have to go in order or anything. It's fine. Okay. Uh, tell me about uh, how you feel about "Wait for It." I think one of the things that I love about Hamilton and it's and Charles won't get this reference maybe, but you will. I was having a conversation with our our friend David Romanek. Um, who is a huge Hamilton fan and actually just got to go see Hamilton on Broadway. And um, we were talking, we were together at some point and we were talking about how much we love Hamilton. And I, I said, um, you know, I'm, I've been thinking a lot about, um, about Jesus Christ Superstar and, um, and how it's related to this. And he, and he made this great observation. I said, I said, I think the thing that I love about both of these musicals is that they're both the story of the the victor told by the villain, um, told by history's villain. So it's so so Jesus Christ Superstar is is narrated by it is Judas's story, right? Yeah, um, and 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 this one it's Aaron Burr's story. And I said that to him, and he was like, "Yeah, yeah, that's true." And he said, "But the other piece of it is." Like where it turns is that it's not only that, but it's that. But for both of those musicals, both of those real life stories, it's about a villain who the only and primary difference is that they just can't see the world in the same way as the as the visionary, you know, great man uh, of history. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought that was I thought that was really compelling. So shout out to David Romanek. And I think that Wait for It is this is this moment when. Aaron Burr, who's been in the musical and who, you know, has been referenced and talked about and has sung to the Schuyler sisters and all those kinds of things. It's the first moment when he explains himself. Uh, And so he's the he's 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 the narrator of the story. And it's the first time when you actually get into his shoes and can say, why is he the way that he is? And why isn't he, you know, getting on board with Hamilton's whole shtick? And he and he says, he says, no, my my thing is wait for it. Like you you're going to find your moment. There's going to be a moment. Um. Um, and, 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 and so, narr- so narratively, I think it serves an interesting piece where you have had Burr through your own prejudice and bias ahead of time villainized, and then he's been kind of this punchline throughout. And this is when he claims, like, there's some, where you actually realize that there's some intention behind his waffling, mm-hmm. um, that he is, he is a political operative. And so he's finding, he's waiting for his moment to seize it instead of just ramming his head into everything the way that Hamilton does. Um, and then as a, as, as a, as a, as a, uh, a song, it's just really beautiful and, um, and empowering in some ways, even though it's about not being empowered in some way, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. And I just like Leslie, Leslie Odom Jr. Uh, his voice, it just like, I want to make love to it. It's so, it's just so, it's so incredible and so beautiful. And Lin Manuel Miranda is a lyrical genius, but he does not have a great singing voice. And so, pairing off the two of them, um, 
it actually works a lot. And when they sing together, like on my Dear Theodosia, like just he- hearing the counterplay of the beauty and clarity of like a ringing bell that is uh, Aaron Burr, Leslie Odom, and the kind of like um, kind of nasally um, kind of grit that is part of Lin-Manuel Miranda. It's just that it's, I love that parody. So anyway. Yeah, I uh, Wait For It is uh, one of the songs that I had marked. And uh, I think the reason why I loved it so much is when I kind of realized, oh, so this is not like just hip hop. Right. And it had this had this really cool kind of R and B sound to it, and I just really like the sound. Like you said, his voice is amazing, and it goes really well with the sound. And um, I think it's interesting. You're kind of talking about him as sort of like waiting, and those songs wait for it. It's kind of an interesting contrast to uh, you know Hamilton's mantra throughout the entire play, which is that he's not going to waste his shot. Right. It's sort of an interesting contrast between those two. Um. Uh, Chuck, I know you said you liked this song too. Yes. Uh, what, what did you think? I just liked it. I don't know. I think I got. <laughs> I just liked it. I think that the line. I, it, the, I heard an interview with Leslie Ozen recently. He was on Fresh Air, I think, or something, and he and he was talking about. Um, the, the interviewer asked him about like what does it feel like to play the villain or the you know the one that the that the cat that the that the audience hates, and he said, yeah. I didn't go out every day thinking that like, I'm not Javert. I didn't go out there thinking that I was going to be the villain. I went out there knowing that the majority of people in this world are Aaron Burr's, you know, hmm. that we're not that, that the, that the, the Hamiltons who are going to be hard driving after what they want are, are very few, but the majority of us are Aaron Burr's. And so going out there and telling the audience's story as they react to this, to this man, um, you know, it's, it, it in pastoral care and pastoral counseling, I, there's this one line from that song that stands out to me because it's something that I say to people all the time when they're telling me about their annoyance with, you know, whatever's going on in their life. And he says, oh, oh, I, he repeats it a couple of times, like, I am the one thing in life I can control. It's, it's such a, it's, it's a really important narrative when it is used to kind of empower your empower empower yourself to to realize that maybe you're part of the problem in in any kind of like argument or or fractious situation and system okay. but the way that the way that Aaron Burr uses it is almost in this fear fear response of like i i am the only i am the one thing in life i can't control i can't control anything else and so therefore i need to i need to wait for my shot right. and to wait for my shot i'm not going to take my shot yeah um you said the other one that you wanted to point out was 13 on the other side, which is hurricane. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's another one of my ones that I, that I marked. So we're, we're on the same wavelength there. Um, why do you, you think why, about why don't you, why don't you talk about hurricane first? So hurricane I loved because, um, as a writer, I totally relate to it. I think anyone who's a writer relates to this because they, they, it's sort of just like kind of hype themselves up. Like I can, I can control my life and everything I do through my writing alone. And I guess that that's sort of what the song is about, right? Because this is when, this was when they, he had gotten called out, right? Well, it's when, it's when his, um, his infidelity had been, yes, uh, had been called out. Yeah. Not made right. public yet. Yeah. Right. This, this, this is the one right before the Reynolds pamphlet, right? Right. Yes. Okay. Yeah. That's it. It ends with that one. So yeah, that he's saying like, he's going to own up to the situation that's coming. Uh, and he's going to do it the best way he knows how, and it's through his writing. And I don't know. I found it kind of sort of empowering in a way, but it's also sort of revealing, like his his hubris, you know, um, because it, it kind of turns out like when when he does eventually write that pamphlet, people are like, "You kind of sound like a psycho. Right. <laughs> like you sound like Eliza calls him paranoid." Mm. Um, I agree. I, I I think the thing that I love about it. it Maybe in a little different way is 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 that it is about it's is his hubris. Um, yeah. When like he starts the song and he's listing off all of these successes he's had because he's been a compelling writer and because he's done what he needs to do at the time, right? Right. And then I mean, depending on where you fall on the ethics of infidelity and and Hamilton's larger vision of his life, like it does not go the way he thinks it's going to go when he does the rental yeah. pamphlet, right? Like his yeah. life kind of crashes down and he is no longer in position to end up, end up being elected to the presidency or anything like he, he, he harms his career. I mean, maybe it's good that he came out with his, with his infidelity, but like, 
what I love is, is that it's, it's like, yes, you have done all of this stuff. You were louder than the crack in the bell. You did write your way out of hell. You did, you did all of this stuff that was really important and compelling. You formed a, a, a constitution and, you know, and defended it. And then like, he has this moment where he realizes the hurricane is swirling around him. And he says in the high of the hurricane, there's quiet for just a moment. And in that moment, he makes a decision based predicated probably correctly on the evidence of his life. But but it is the wrong it is the wrong choice. Right. Um, I would I mean, again, like, I think it's important that we confess our sins and all that. But he should have told uh, he should have told Eliza about it first, you know. But anyway, um, he makes the wrong decision because he thinks that he can control the situation. And so it is I think that it's it's the same point in, in each half of the musical. I am the one thing in life I can control is what Aaron Burr says. And Hamilton says, no, I can control everything. And he's but yeah. he's naming it as a hurricane. He's saying, like, I'm in the hurricane. I can control this hurricane if I can get my narrative out there. If I'm if I'm if I'm on the front end of this thing, if I'm revealing it and and, and explaining it and couching it, then I can control this hurricane. It's like you can't actually control hurricanes. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, because it says when my prayers to God were met with indifference, I picked up a pen. I wrote my own oh, my deliverance. Yeah. So so good. Really good. Um Okay, so uh, Chuck, are, are there any tracks that that stuck out to you well, that you're listening to that you kind of want to bring up? The one that like it grabbed me, like the whole like just the whole like really really grabbed me was um, what I miss. Hmm. Oh um, yeah, and part of that is part of that's due to so one of the musicals that I really do like is um, um, the best little whorehouse in Texas. And there's a bit in that where I think it's the governor um, is asked all these questions and he does this very like political little thing. And it's pretty and it's very funny in the musical where he's just like, I do this little sidestep, like I get out of the way or whatever. And the way that they paint Jefferson in that song reminds me of that character a lot of like Jefferson's like, yeah, I've been away. Like I've been I've been in France. And then later when they have that, uh, then the next track is where they have that duel on the in the in the um, in the battle. In the, yeah, and, battle. and um and there's like those little digs made at him about the fact that he you know he didn't fight the revolutionary war he was in france getting high and all this kind of stuff but i <laughs> yeah. but i i thought that was i just really like the song i really like that because there's been there's been a, a there's been a fair amount of reassessment of jefferson in recent years and i like how that song sort of captures that zeitgeist of that he really wasn't a good guy um, yeah, kind of a bastard. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and um, and and a, uh, and a and an opportunist. Um, I mean, very smart, um, but definitely an opportunist. And you know, of course, there's that irony that Hamilton's career is derailed by his infidelity, but we don't find out about what Jefferson's doing for like centuries. Mm-hmm. Um, I like that little line about, "Hey Sally, we open that letter for me." Yeah. Um, but no, I thought I just like that song a lot because of the way that they make. They make Jefferson. I, I, what I, I guess, and that's consistent to me with a lot of the ways in which, of what I like about this is the way is the light that it, it gives because it obviously is highlighting people like Hamilton who get overshadowed by people like Jefferson and Washington and Adams and others, um, in the American, you know, zeitgeist, um, and that this is a way to show like you know Jefferson wasn't a great guy. Um, you know, Washington is this bombastic figure. Um, and, um, and I, so I really like that kind of stuff, but I like, like, I like the song and I like the, I like the musical genre that they use where it's got kind of like a Southern, like Dixieland vibe to what's going on and sort of ragtimey and, um, mm-hmm. it just adds to sort of the almost like subtle charlatan nature of, of Jefferson. I just think is great. Yeah. Um, can we talk about the Skylar sisters? Yeah, you, you mentioned earlier. Uh, that that is when it I like I know I said wait for it is when I, I kind of grabbed me, but the Skylar sisters is when I, I feel like the whole thing was just sort of like shaken up. Um, mainly because I think the um, the performers who play the Skylar sisters are uh, on fire. Eliza mm-hmm. played by um, Philippa Philippa Sue. Mm-hmm. And then and Angelica, Angelica played by Nika Noni Rose, fascinating characters. 
I love the dynamic between the two, between Eliza and Angelica, and, I, and I'm so glad that they kept Angelica like within the narrative. I'm, I actually loved Angelica. She was actually my favorite character. Sorry, and, and Angelica was played by Renee Elise Goldsberry. I was looking at a cast list from the first workshop being oh, okay. off-Broadway stuff. Renee Elise Goldsberry. Yeah, um, their introduction is really great. I, I love how playful it is. I, I did, uh, according, according to Wikipedia... <laughs> It was kind of inspired by like Destiny's Child style mm. music. Um, apparently, I guess they were supposed to go. They were trying to go for like a Daft Punk thing, but when they saw these three performers like singing and having fun, they're like, "Oh, this is like Destiny's Child." And so they just kind of mix it up, yeah. And um, so I, I love their introduction, and I love Angelica's song "Satisfied." So I like oh, "Satisfied" because there's a lot of really clever. Um, wordplay about about that idea of satisfied and it's also it, it's kind of out of out of con out of con, out of the timeline a little bit right so that the next the next song is about helpless or no helpless helpless is the previous one is the previous one but it's actually yeah. like the past tense kind of is satisfied recasts what happens in helpless and you kind of understand how it all yeah came. and that, that's that, that's what's interesting to me because helpless um, it's sort of kind of indicative of Eliza's character a little bit. It's kind of like it's kind of surface level of how she's sort of viewed, at least by Angelica. Yeah. And I think it's really cool those songs there because when I first heard Helpless, I'm like, okay, this is the one I'm going to mark. I really love that. But then Satisfied Play, I'm like, no, I like this one because it's right. it's totally like a flip side of the previous one. Um, and I just like I, I just I I I I'm kind of fascinated with the the, the restraint. That's on display with Angelica because like she wants Alexander Hamilton, <laughs> like, right. and she's talking about how much like how much she admi- she admires him and like just kind of detailing everything about his personality and stuff. And I, I thought it was just really cool. Other ones that kind of stuck out to me well, were before, before you go on. I want to say my favorite yeah. line from I think it's my my, my favorite line, the most clever, and that's saying a lot, but. Um, comes from Skylar Sisters when uh, the only man who's in it in a speaking uh in a speaking version is uh, toward the end with aaron burr when he comes in and he's like whoa nothing like summer in the city girls looking hot you know um yeah. when rush me and someone like pretty um angelica's reaction to him so uh why you slumming in the city with your fancy heels you searching for an urchin who can give you ideals and and this is the best thing Burr saying her saying, Burr, you disgust me. And he says, yeah. Ah, so you've disgust me. I'm like, <laughs> like, I, like the, the, the lyrical turn of phrase, they're just like, oh God. every time I hear it, I'm like, I have to tweet about this. And then you know, like it's it's the best thing. And and that that kind of wordplay is just throughout. Like you were talking about being surprised and like noticing something new. Like, I hope you guys will continue to listen to this because I've listened to this. I've listened to this album 200 times, and I'll still listen to it, even though I've gone through and read the lyrics and everything. I'll still mm-hmm. hear something or hear how a musical phrase is used, or I'm surprised every single time I hear it. I hear something new, and it just—it's just—it's awesome. It's so yeah. good. Um, I think what's also kind of interesting about the character of Angelica is I think I, I feel like they were trying to paint her as someone who probably understands him more than anybody else in the story. Right. Especially at the very end of her song "Satisfied," he's, she, her her last two lines are, "He will never be, he will never be satisfied. I will never be satisfied." Mm-hmm. And the, the fact that he never finds satisfaction that's why he dies, right? Because mm-hmm. the duel is satisfaction, you know. Anyway, uh, <laughs> it's all there. It's all in there. Yeah, yeah. I know. I know. <laughs> <laughs> um, another one. Um, I hope you guys mind. I just I'm just gonna talk about all of my favorite ones if that's okay. Good. Yeah. Um, I I love the cabinet battles. Um, yeah. Those are really cool, especially because it's more Thomas Jefferson, and he's he, I, I love I love that he's such a bastard in this. In this musical. Like. <laughs> yeah. Um. <laughs> uh, oh, what's oh god? What was the part in one of the cabinet battles when they're talking about? Um, oh, I I let out the loudest. Oh, uh, when I was listening to it was when they were talking about opening a, a national bank and Jefferson saying that, um, that they're all caught up on their debts. Right. And Hamilton yeah. catches up and he's like, yeah, we all know why. Right. <laughs> because he's talking about slavery. Yeah. We plant seeds in the South. We create. Yeah. Yeah. He's like, yeah, you don't pay for your labor. This. 
we know who's planting for the, who's, we know who's planting those seeds. Yeah. I was like, oh, um, that was my favorite part. I loved it. Is uh, that the one where he talks about bend over? I'll show you where my boot fits. Is that the? I think that's late. Yeah, that's it. That's the end. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, cause, cause, um, because he says earlier, like if the shoe fits, wear right, it. Right. And then yeah, that's you. right. That's good. And that's what's um, like good. That's good rap battle too. Like you're taking what you're given and you spin it and turn it and throw it back. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the he he, he Lin Manuel Miranda talked about how um, he knew that this was going to be a success or this was going to be a big thing when he started getting tweets and messages from teachers. Uh, oh yeah. From from history teachers and and one of the reasons why was because of these rap battles because they take these incredibly like I can remember in American history. The only thing that I really remember about American history was Aaron Burr shot Alexander Hamilton while he was yeah. vice president. Right. I remember that. And then I remember there was this whole thing about this national bank and like assuming the credit of the states and that that was a good thing somehow. And like but, but I don't I don't I don't remember I, what I'm saying to you now is after having listened to Hamilton, understanding it a little bit more, because what it does is it takes these really high minded political, philosophical, monetary policy, war policy conversations and makes them entertaining in a way that makes you want to learn more, right? So, like, I went and read more about the National Bank and about its history because I heard – because it was it talked about in this way that was so compelling and interesting that my – I mean, I love my American history teacher, um, Mr. Offal, if, you, if you're listening. Um, but I didn't, I didn't get bitten by that in the same way. But now teachers are using this as a way to, to catch that. Since you mentioned it, I, I just – I have to share – my first experience with both Alexander Hamilton and Aaron Burr and why I think I you know what you're going to say. You do know what I'm going to say. Cause I, I know. <laughs> and it is the very first got milk commercial. <laughs> yes. <laughs> really? Yeah. So uh, do you, uh, the very first got milk commercial was, it was a guy sitting there listening to like a, like a call in radio trivia show or whatever. And it was like, if you, you know, like it's like a, you know, you win like uh, $10,000 or whatever. If you call in and the question is, who shot Alexander Hamilton and like the camera pans around the room and he's got the gun. He's got the bullet. Like he's got all of the stuff. Like he's like all <laughs> it's the like museum. He's in a all museum. Like, to Aaron Burr. Yeah. And he picks up the phone and calls, but he has peanut butter in his mouth and he goes, Aaron Burr, Aaron Burr. And he can't say it. <laughs> oh, right. And he loses. <laughs> and then it ends with got milk. First got milk commercial. I'm watching, I'm watching it in silently right now. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Chuck, I learned about Alexander Hamilton Amber the same way. <laughs> yes. I love it. I love it. And then, of course, the $2 bill. Yeah, that's true. Um, moving on. Uh, oh, one thing I wanted to bring up that I really liked, um, another kind of uh, way they sort of mixed up genres and stuff, is um, whenever King George appears. Oh, yes. I, I love his little asides because it's so, like – you know, you would expect like him to be like Darth Vader or something, you know, with like rousing Empire Strikes Back theme playing or whatever. Right. But it's like da 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 da. <laughs> yeah, they're um, they're supposed to be. They kind of have the echoes of like a, like they're they're love songs. You know, they're like right, right. I, I I love you and you and and I'm gonna show you how much I love you. And then like, but the lyrics are I'm gonna send my my armies to show you how much I love you. Yeah, or like the the you'll be back. You know. Right. When things start crumbling, oh. don't come back to me. I wanted to comment on that. Um, that whole you'll be back. Like it, it's interesting for me listening to this in the context uh, of right now because of how many people in this country are obsessed with the royal wedding. Yeah. <laughs> and I just sort of th- just went to that in my head of just the number of people in America that are just like, oh, but it's just such pageantry. And it's, it's like such a weird thing to me that there are so many Americans so interested in – the royal family and royalty where it's like, we, we tried that. We didn't like it. We, 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 we solved that problem a while ago. Well, it's also because an American married into the royal family. Right. Right. So it's yeah, like, in a way he's right. And and princess die. I mean, I, I think that that's about like King George was a scary dude. Right. Yeah. But like, we're not, we're not scared by the current royal family in any way. And they don't have any control over us. Right. And, and I think you can have opinions about things that affect you, you know, in a like, taxation without representation and like trying to trying for decades to make this work, you know, and then they're finally like, no, like he isn't listening to us. Um, so we have to have revolution. 
Yeah. No, I just think it, I, I, I'm not saying it's good or bad. I just found it fascinating yeah. that like that my head went to that where he's like, he's like, you'll be back. And then I think about like all those memes I saw that were like during the election that were like, make America great Britain again and all that kind of stuff. So, uh, it just, it's just a fascinating thing to me. I mean, cause my feeling on it is sort of like our, that our attitude on Royals are, is kind of like when you meet a friend who's still in touch with like an ex and you're like, Hey, did they ever ask about me? Did they ever? Yeah. Yeah. Um, what's going on with them? You know, let's see, let's check in with them a little bit. You know, I'm, I'm happy where I'm at, but I'm just curious. So what's going on over there? Um, but yeah, that's, yeah. I, I want to bring up something before you do the next thing. I want to go back to the, the main, the first song, Alexander Hamilton, something that you might not get from just listening to it. You may have seen this in the lyrics, but, um, Charles, you may not have gotten this, but, um, the cast is a little smaller than you imagine it is because, mm-hmm. People have a first act character. Several characters have a first act character. Several actors, first act character and second act character. And so, like the guy who plays Hercules Mulligan is also the guy who plays Matt, James Madison, and the guy who plays uh, Lafayette is the same guy who plays Jefferson. And uh, and then the, oh, the, 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 the lady who plays uh, Peggy is the same woman who plays Maria Reynolds, who does who has the affair. And um, and then Lawrence, John Lawrence, is the same guy who plays Philip. Um, Philip Hamilton, and so at the very end of that first song, when when um, when they say um, his enemies destroyed his rep, America forgot him, and then they stand up and they say, "We fought with him. Uh, me, I died for him. Me, I trusted him. Me, I loved him. And me, I'm the damn fool that shot him." Mm-hmm. The people who stand up and say, "We fought with him," are the actors who play Madison Madison Mulligan and Lafayette Jefferson, and it's so clever because it's in the first act they're fighting alongside him, they're revolutionaries together, right? But then in the second act, Madison and, and Jefferson fight oh. against him. So we fought with him Dual works meaning. in both ways. Um, Lawrence, me, I died for him. Both Lor- John Lawrence and Philip Hamilton, me, I died for him. Oh, um, interesting. Me, I loved him is like all the Schuyler sisters, but then also Maria Reynolds as well. Um, so, so clever. Um, and it's, it's staged like in the, on the, on the scene, on the set, they're like all kind of around the stage and their groupings. And then the, like spotlight hits them on each of those moments. Yeah. Um, that, yeah, that, that's really cool. Uh, that, that, that's something like, you know, um, I had no idea about that. That's something you would know, like if you, if you've watched the play or something, or you, you know, not just listen to the music, but, um, I didn't know that, uh, cast members played more than one character. Yeah. Is it still that way? Like, or is it? Yeah, uh... no, that's, it's the way that it's staged. It's the way that it's designed. Okay. So, um, I wanted to, I wanted to hit on one thing that Charles said before we, before we wrap up, I wanted to make sure that I went back to the, um, and you both actually said it kind of this idea, this question about like, race and how you have black characters playing white white folks um or black actors uh, sorry black and asian multicultural um one of the things that uh lin-manuel miranda said about reading the chernow book was that he was reading he was reading and talking about how this is like this rags to riches or rags to power story Mm -hmm. and read it and was like and said to himself this is a hip-hop story like this is a story of somebody who was born in the gutter and rose through talent to become very prominent. And what I love about it is that it creates, it tells, it tells the story. It tells a very white story through the musical expressions broadly of, uh, of, of marginalized people and minority people. And, and I, I read an interview once where he talked about how not, like not his intent, but like a, an offshoot of, of the way that they cast the musical and intentionally was to use the vernacular of a people who've been told, use the vernacular and the music of a people who've been told for the entire history of our country that this isn't really their story. They're they're off as slaves or as uh, indentured servants, or you know they're not part of this story. This is a story about what white people did against white people. It's a very it's a very white story, and and what Lin Manuel Miranda has done through using the vernacular and through his casting is he's said like. No, this is everybody's story. If you're an American, this is everybody's story. And we are right. all Hamilton and we are all Burr. And um, and the fact that the power structures of the world were and still are in place that created this so that it was white people who were having these conversations, the same thing could have happened, probably would have happened if the tables were turned, if it was different. This is this is still your story and something you can claim. 
Well, and that, and that makes you that, and that was the thing I was I, earlier said I wanted to say that I'd forgotten um, is that one of the things too that I thought about while listening to this is the way in which this captures one a sort of anti-establishment quality to all of this um, because you know when we tend to think of the founding fathers and mothers of this country we tend to think of them as very establishment right um, the other thing is is that um, and I, and I don't mean uh, in the popular sphere and I could be wrong about this but I, I think I'm accurate um, that in the popular sphere anymore that being a patriot and caring about the founding fathers tends to mean you're conservative yeah. And for somebody who is obviously very left-leaning person to do a musical about a founding father of the country helps remind us that caring about the birth of our nation and even the ideals of patriotism, patriotism are not – it's not left or right. It is all of our story. And that, and that just that, – that, 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 that echoes what you're saying there, Patrick, in terms of race, also in political identity as well. Right. I mean like I have family yeah, members who yeah. are very conservative – who like this musical, mm-hmm. which is kind of fascinating to me. Yeah. Well, you know, the, the, the famous thing that happened was that uh, Vice President Pence, right. uh, you know, even showed up for a, for a screen, for a yeah. Um Well, Barack Obama has joked that liking Hamilton is the only thing that he and Dick Cheney agree on. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting. Um, and yeah, I, I feel like there's a whole, you know, conversation that can be had around it. And I, you know, and, and as someone, like I said, like I, I, I'm definitely like a left-leaning person. I, um, but I, I love reading about the American Revolution. I love reading about the founding fathers. I love the time period. I love uh, learning about each and every single person who was involved because, like I said, it's kind of like being a comic book. Everyone had like these different goals, but, the, but like the same dream, and they're always butting heads and coming into conflict, and also had to fight this empire that was encroaching on him. And, uh, and this guy could really... snap his fingers and half of them were gone. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. <laughs> yeah, I really thought it, I really thought uh, when, when Philip Hamilton died and when he, when he disintegrated in Eliza's arms, that was a little much. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, well, yeah, what's sadder, Philip Hamilton's death or Spider-Man's death? <laughs> um, <laughs> um but I, yeah, I think it's that the, I, 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 that's an interesting conversation to have because, like I said, I, I don't. I think you could probably divine some things that there is some pushing against the status quo in Hamilton. I don't think it's re- quite in there. It does present the characters as flawed, which is good, mm-hmm. and they do address things like slavery and abolitionism and things like that. Um, but that's not really the point of the story. The point of this is to tell this dude's story mm-hmm. and why he's important. And I still think that's valid. I still think you can enjoy it. I, I don't think you're being exceptionally bougie by enjoying it. Um, and uh, even though that was sort of my headspace when I was coming into it, when it came out of it, I was just like, I just really like the story. Right. It was fascinating. Um, and also really sad. And what I what I found interesting about this play that I think it has in common with my other favorite play, 1776 is how it ends, which is on a very somber note, mm-hmm. you know, 1776 ends with the signing of the declaration of independence, but it's not with like fireworks in the background. It's the ringing of the Liberty bell and people are very quiet and they're saying like, what are we getting ourselves into? Like, mm-hmm. What's going to happen now? Um, and I kind of feel like Hamilton sort of ends the same way where they're asking who's going to tell your story. Is anyone going to tell your story? So, yeah, I think that's uh, those are sort of my final thoughts on it. Overall, I still think it's great. I wish I could see it. And uh, a movie, I'm a little skeptic about a movie taking this on. Mm. Uh, uh, we'll see. That doesn't always pan out. <laughs> you know, it better be a great freaking director, like an amazing director. Yeah. Um, what so. did you think about the um, Jesus Christ Superstar staging? Did you watch that? The, the one that came out on Acer? I, I didn't see it. I've never, I've actually I, as somebody who knows that musical, I'd be interested in your thoughts on it because they, I think they did something a little different with it as far as I, uh, directing and staging. Chuck and I have talked about talking about Jesus Christ Superstar as like its own episode on our podcast on, on the podcast. Yeah, uh, Michael, so, Michael would be happy to join you for that podcast. Nice, cool. 
yeah, I think it's going to be part of our. We we want to do a series where we talk about Jesus in film, and I think Jesus Christ Superstar is one of those that we want to talk about. So Jesus June, Jesus J- July, something. <laughs> yeah. I like that alliteration. Yeah. All right. So uh, is that it? Any final thoughts? Anything, uh, Father Fun or Father? Joe? I'll do one. I'll do one final thought. I was appreciative okay. that they brought in. Um, it it took until the very end and tragedy for them to bring in Hamilton's uh, faith and for his and to bring in his Anglicanism, Episcopalianism. Um, Hamilton um, and Angelica and uh, Eliza and Philip are all buried at Trinity Wall Street, um, wow. which is an Episcopal church in um, in downtown, very, very downtown Wall Street of New York. Um, and I think that they brought that in in a really beautiful and authentic way. And um, and I'm, I'm just every time I get to that point in the in the musical, as I'm listening through it, I it always is nice and reflective of that. It's quiet uptown song where he's. Right. dealing with this death and dealing with his infidelity and his distance from his wife. And he, um, he, he I've never liked the quiet before. Um, and then um, something about how he starts to pray and that never used to happen before. Um, I thought that that was really interesting. Um, that turn that turn toward, turn toward faith in the light of tragedy. Yeah. Cool. Okay. Well, <laughs> All right. Well, so that wraps up episode uh, three of Music Mayhem. Um, uh, less, know, much, 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 much better than Supernatural. Thanks, Patrick. <laughs> yeah, yeah, way better. I got to release that today. Um, so I guess we have one more to do. I mean, it's not technically going to be in May, <laughs> but it's OK. We can go over. It's fine. Um so next week, uh, it's my turn. Yay! Uh, you guys ready to, to hear what yes. album I'm going to choose? Yeah. Okay. So I thought long and hard about this all year. I'm, I'm a little hesitant to reveal it because I feel like you're going to be like, oh, that's so hanging through for GP. Just do it. Pull the Band-Aid off. I came all the way back around to The Color and the Shape by Foo Fighters. Okay. See? See? No one's <laughs> impressed. No one's impressed. Everyone knew... Everyone, it's got ever, it's got Everlong on it, man. It's a good album. <laughs> I don't know it. So, I don't know. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. Okay. Well, Father Fun, you're welcome to join us if you'd like. You can listen to uh, Color and the Shape by Foo Fighters. Come back next week. We're going to talk about Dave Grohl and uh, one of the greatest uh, rock songs ever made, in my opinion, Everlong. And, uh, yeah, so listen to that. All right. Uh, Father, Father Fun, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for bringing Hamilton. Oh, it is my pleasure. Thank you for being good sports and for being willing to be transformed. Enjoy totally. your enjoy your newly Hamilton delights. Thank you. <laughs> and everybody have a great week and good journey. Good journey. Good journey. Just to-